Hello everyone, we are back with a podcast now, we are changing things up, we've basically got Dr. P coming in twice a week in the podcast, so instead of Wednesday evening and you have to turn up live, basically you ask us questions, I'll ask Paul, I'll make sure he answers concisely as possible, we know his nuance and all this stuff, but we're going to try and keep it short and sharp, but with enough information, how's that sound Paul? That sounds absolutely perfect for me, uh, yeah, looking forward to being able to ask answer a few more questions and hopefully um yeah access a few more people as well in terms of you know times and things like that so yeah looking forward yeah, to so yeah so yeah not just having to monologue <laughs> yeah, I'm down for. i think the first thing to really start on is that just to have the other side of the conversation with us and maybe there is a lot of uh it's quite i don't know there's you know researching women is relatively new but mm -hmm. um the first question is can women carb load and i want you to, to to explain what carb loading actually is okay um can women carb load so the answer to that is yes um there's there's enough evidence that to suggest that regardless of gender having periods of high carbohydrate intake before a specific types of sporting event are beneficial for performance so this is that's what carb loading is basically so Carbohydrates, obviously, we get in the diet, and they're stored in the body, in the muscle, and the liver as glycogen. And this is important for sports performance because, depending on the intensity of the sport, so if you're doing anything kind of over 60 minutes, up to a few hours, and you're working really hard, you know, like so, someone's like having a good attempt at a marathon um, type distance, half marathon, marathon type distance would be a good example of that. Then we want to make sure. Sorry, excuse me, one second, Scott. Coming from the cold. Um, we want to make sure that our glycogen stores are fully stocked. Now, there's different there's different um, approaches to doing this. Some people will split their carb load over a few days beforehand, so they're not having to eat loads of carbs in one day. Um, that's particularly important, like if people get digestive stress and bloating and things like that. Um, some people will do it. You know. Um, and reduce like fat intake and overall calorie intake so you make sure that although they're getting the carbohydrates in there their overall energy intake isn't super high some people just don't care because it's for a few days so so what um there's usually a few other things that would accompany it so for example you know in the few days before a run or a race you would want to like limit fiber intake a little bit just because you don't want too much fiber sat in your um your stomach because that can cause irritability and you know you don't want to be going to the bathroom 10 minutes into a marathon um so you know i tend to with my athletes male female whoever i'll tend to reduce their fiber intake for a few days before an event and that also just kind of helps with digestion and absorption absorption of carbohydrates generally although we we promote and advocate you know diet a, a diet that is high in you know um whole grains fruits fibrous vegetables for satiety and you know um and, and hopefully, a decent um, digestive system health and mot um, and you know going to the bathroom and digestive motility. I think it's the word I'm after there. Um, so it doesn't. I don't think that everybody has to carbohydrate load for a half marathon or a marathon. I think that those who train seriously, who know that they can run and perform at a certain pace and intensity for those durations yes it's definitely beneficial if someone's just like a recreational runner who's trying to survive a half marathon or a marathon they're not really bothered about pace and pushing themselves they just want to kind of get through it then it's probably not something that's going to have like a massive amount of benefit 
on performance as well. So yes, yes, it is useful, but I would say that as with any um, any strategy of nutrition for performance, it's understanding one, the demands of the event, and then secondly, the individual as to how we um, how we take that approach. And um, on my Instagram recently, I did a, po a post on carb loading where it explains all of this stuff in a bit more detail, like how much you should carbohydrate load, when you should carbohydrate load, food sources for carbohydrate loading, and even in terms of once you've loaded for an event, what kind of fuel sources and things that you should take on board during the event as well, depending on the duration and intensity of the event. So by intensity there, what I mean is like effort of maximum. So for example, if you imagine running like a park run or a 5k, you're going to be able to maintain a higher pace and a higher effort level for that duration of 5k than you would be for like an ultra marathon, which is like 50k because, you know, fatigue kicks in. So, um, it's, it's that side of it really where I think a lot of the confusion can kind of come in, you know, and one of the adages that I've always had as a, as a sports, um, scientist, sports nutritionist, performance nutritionist, whatever you want to call me is it's like, you could, but should you? You know, and I would advise if people haven't carb loaded before, they don't know what fuel sources they get on with very well or carb sources they get on with very well, then, you know, don't just try it randomly before a big event. If you've trained really hard for it, stick with the nutrition that has been good for you. Yes, maybe look at reducing fiber a little bit, but if you've got a good nutrition strategy that's worked well for your training up until an event, don't then get overly excited at what I'm saying now or maybe what you read and start taking advice from me or anybody else unless they have a, um, a deep insight into what you've done already. So for example, you know, don't start, if you hear there's some like super duper elixir to take during an event and you've not used that before, it's probably not a good idea to start shoveling different brands, different foods, whatever it is down your throat midway through something where your digestive system might not be trained and you can train your digestive system. Um, might not be trained to do that. So I think that explains what, what carb loading is. Um, and yeah, so yes, it is a benefit. Should you do it? It depends. And I guess if anyone's got any specific questions um, or wants to reach out to me, um, you know, through the messages on, on Mighty Networks or whatever, I'm always happy to try and answer those as best I can with a little bit more information. Happy days. Nice one. You covered it. Um, any interesting research studies or anything that's really made you rethink some things you've firmly believed in this last year, maybe? In the last year? <clears throat> um, yeah, anything you've read has gone, hmm, that's interesting. Maybe that is, maybe that's not fixed as we thought. Yeah, there's some interesting things coming in and around now. I think in terms of nutrition for performance, there's some really niche areas, but there's nothing been massively groundbreaking in terms of our understanding of kind of metabolic pathways and physiology and nutrition um, as such. Um, nothing that's what I would say is, you know, like paradigm shifting anyway. I think there's some really interesting research coming out now, more in the sort of strength training aspect of, of things in terms of um, mechanisms for muscle adaptations. And, you know, there was this, the whole ideas around progressive overload and all of that stuff, which sort of holds true, but there's there's more nuance coming in and around that now as well in terms of not just the amount of volume that we're training, but the relative intensities at which we're training. So yeah, there's some really interesting um, things around that and uh, not going too much in the strength and conditioning world because it's probably not massively applicable to most of our audience, but there's some really interesting things about kind of how we can train for um, multiple modalities at once and some of the understanding of like what causes fatigue during resistance training, how we can manage that fatigue and, and that different approaches, which, um, you know, which can maximize performance, which are 
not they're not paradoxical, so they're not like the opposite of what we would expect, but they're definitely um, mechanistically starting to discover some things that you know we we um, we held to be fairly straightforward when actually you know um, it's not necessarily the case. I.e., more volume is better. Is something which in the last year or so has become increasingly questioned. Um, but again, you know, trying to understand the, the nuances of that isn't my really my wheelhouse. But in terms of nutrition science, um, nothing too really, no, nothing too much really. Um, I think there's some really interesting stuff on nootropics that's happening and research into things that improve cognitive performance and things like that. But nothing's nothing to a point yet where I would be, you know, in terms of my recommended supplement list or nutrition list at the moment, there's nothing where I would say, I can't believe we've been missing this for so long. So as boring an answer as that might sound, uh, it's actually quite reassuring in one sense that, you know, the things that we hold to be true um, ha in terms of metabolism, how our body processes foods um, and all of the stuff that, that we we base our approaches off is still fairly firmly fixed, you know, and there are some slight variations on a theme, but, um, but yeah, nothing, nothing too dramatic has, has occurred in the last 12 months, really last couple of years that I can think of, but actually I'll probably finish this little podcast episode and someone will pop into my head. So yeah, let me, let me ponder that one and I'll, I'll um, see if anything else jumps up at me, but right now nothing really major gets to mind. Comes yeah, to mind. Happy, sorry. Days. happy days, happy days. Why don't people then with this, progressive overload why don't they just have why is it why can't it be this simple or it is is it as simple i did 10 reps on 100 kg today in bench press next week i'll do 11 reps the week after i'll do 12 reps okay so there's there's two things within that one is that the progressive overload really has to be thought about in terms of the mechanical tension that is placed on the muscle because it's the mechanical tension that drives the adaptation which is muscle growth or strength development okay um, so one is that simply adding reps without a, a measure of the internal muscle stress or strain, if you want to call it that, is challenging. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't measure it and we shouldn't monitor it. Of course we should, because the chances are that, you know, if our technique's fairly rigid, um, that if, if everything that is, you know, if, everything, if all our numbers are heading in the right direction, the chances are that we are getting the right stimulus. It's more to do with the fact that there are, um, like, for example, you could not, just because you're not progressing with your loads or your reps or your set doesn't mean that you're not building muscle. Yeah. You remember, we've got to, it's trying to remember that progressive overload is an outcome of adaptations. It's not the thing that it's, it's not the thing that drives the adaptation. It's the thing that's an outcome of the adaptation, which is mechanical stress, right? So you can lift the same weight for five or six weeks, the same amount of reps, the same amount of sets, but then all of a sudden you will just get stronger. Well, you haven't progressed the load, have you? But your ability to move that load has improved because you've just been in this kind of gray area training wise where you've not changed your reps, you've not changed your sets, you've not changed the load. And then all of a sudden in a few weeks time, you come back and then you can do more reps or you can do more load. Well, you've not been progressing the load during that period. However, you are still you so it's progressive overload isn't just about the volume and, and training volume is important it's about trying to remind ourselves that progressive overload is a result of the adaptations that we get from training it's not necessarily the thing that drives the adaptation itself you know and yeah we can't just stand still forever and if we are standing still forever then that's something that we need to assess as to why we're standing still but that's a slightly a slightly different um slightly different argument i would guess 
and and that's what we find really is that you know it's quite common for especially trained and experienced lifters to stagnate what we would say is plateau and stagnate for several weeks and then all of a sudden after a break or for whatever reason then all of a sudden they'll get these like little incremental like jumps in jumps in load which is why it's not it's important to not just simply chase the numbers and then get frustrated if your strength hasn't gone up in a few weeks for example you know that's still normal the adaptation will occur as long as we are hitting the right rep ranges eating the right kind of nutrition and getting enough you know rest and recovery in there so that's what i would always say is if people aren't hitting their numbers for a few weeks it's probably not a case of necessarily yeah you can have an extra set you can lower the weight to do more reps you can micro load your weights if you want so you've got really smaller increments that you can handle do all of that stuff and it's fine but that also means that if we do hit a plateau at some point or what we perceive as being a plateau it still doesn't mean that we're not driving the adaptation Um, and that's something where i think my thinking has moved around a little bit in terms of how i would try and progress an athlete whereas before i might worry that they're hitting the same weight for a number of weeks for the same reps or same sets and then start trying to find ways to increase the volume of training Whereas now I w- I'm quite happy to just stick and say, okay, well, we'll just keep things where they are. And then in a few weeks time, what you will find if you monitor things like their relative effort, or if you monitor things like, you know, reps in reserve, how many more they feel they've got in a tank, then you'll see that those, the perception of the effort will reduce and then use that as a vehicle to, um, to increase load rather than necessarily having to feel like, well, I've done hundred kilos this week, next week I need to do 102, next week 104 or, or whatever it might be. So I think that that's, that also ties in with, you know, people who start off chasing progressive overload and a lot of training volume initially. Um, it's this idea of like doing too much work, too much volume. And then all of a sudden they get into this, this kind of training no man's land where they can't do any more training because of the yeah. volumes they're doing because they're really fatigued and they can't recover. And then it's almost like you kind of have to resensitize yourself. And actually that's something that's popped into my head is that there's some really novel research coming out at the moment around this idea of resensitization to training. So there might be benefits of taking time away from periods of resistance training, not just to recover from hard training bouts, but there's like almost like a resensitization to the pathways that develop muscle growth. Um, so again, that's very formative research. And I wouldn't say it was paradigm shifting at this point, but it's fascinating that a lot of the kind of go hard or go home old school approaches, um, are definitely workable because you know old school bodybuilders were still jacked and strong but like, if you look at how a lot of those bodybuilders were trained they would still have periods of time after a big show where they might take a month or two months out of the gym um yeah you know yeah, and no, take it and take, yeah well. so like yeah so this idea of like resensitization is something which is quite interesting but I, so that's why i always think like you know people who when they first start training it's like do the minimum amount of work to get the maximum amount of benefit you know don't start spending three hours in the gym you know, because yeah, you'll grow. Yeah, you'll grow quickly. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. That's it. You've got to give yourself somewhere to go. Um, and I think as I've got older and a bit more banged up and broken, like it's the time out of the gym which is more important to me now, rather than the time I spend in it. Like you know, been there, seen it, done it, got the t-shirt for hammering myself. Now yeah. it's about it's about right. Okay, well, how can I minimise my training volume to maximum effect? Which means that yes, the sessions have to be you know harder, I guess, in some senses. But recovery is so much more important now to my progression than mm. spending six days a week in the gym, you know. And I think that's yeah. something where, yeah, a lot of a lot of our members maybe struggle initially if they're feeling like they've got, a, you know, the New Year's resolution and mentality of having to go to the gym six, seven days a week to feel like they've got to be successful. And um, quite often, if people, especially if they're concerned with muscle growth, um, 
or, or just getting stronger. It's like just bat things away. Do start with just two full body sessions a week. You know, don't feel like if you, you know, in terms of your strength training, don't feel like you've got to, you know, pick up some bro magazine and start training six, seven days a week. No, no, exactly. Um, start twice, three times with- max. And I think um, for this podcast, I'll let you finish on this um, topic you're going to. So when it comes to, uh, I lost the question, what was I say? Nutrition. Um, oh, what was I going to ask? Very important topic, Paul. <laughs> Very important. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, this, this, this. So, there's a lot of chat. There's a lot of chat now. Some people are coming to maintenance, and maybe there's more people going to maintenance. But I want to talk about first is like people. I speak to people who have been in deficits or perceived to be in a deficit for a while, and yeah. try and reinforce that in a deficit for a long, long time, you are going to have maybe or you may you call them adaptation. Their hormone, different hormone, hormones going to go up and down, mm-hmm. and they might not know. Like, oh, my, my, my hunger's gone up because of the hormones that are whack or whatever, or leptin, and you can talk about that in a minute. Um, how many, so would you say that most people will eventually, the normal person, maybe just the average normal person, maybe one of the church members, would you say that they will just be going into a maintenance weekend or days automatically just from life? Or would you say that they might need to actually establish a maintenance week or a maintenance few days planned? Um, so this is something where there is there's a, a recent study on at the moment talking about this idea of diet breaks, which is something that we talk about a lot. I've never been entirely. Are you talking about so if someone's lost weight and they plateaued, taking them out of a deficit for a while first, or doing no, on I'm a weekly basis? No, like actually, I'm actually pl- t- talking even ahead of even getting to that stage where. Um, okay. Yeah, they've tried to lose weight for a while. Maybe it's up and down, but yeah, there's yeah. Kind of resistance to it then. So there's a resistance to it. So this idea of diet breaks for me is something that I've always kind of, it's something that I don't have a problem with. I don't necessarily, I think some people go too far. It's like the metabolic adaptation stuff, like how much the metabolism adapts to fat loss. I think yeah. there's evidence and truth to it. I just think some people take it to a to an well, extreme. Like, what yeah. do you think? But what do you think? I th- my theory is that most people will let, have a maintenance day anyway because they will go out and eat and they will have a oh, weekend slacking. Yeah, so, a- absolutely, absolutely. So is there I a don't... point wondering about worrying about it or is there? Um, well, linear whether people take diet breaks or 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 not, the the thing that tends to be the biggest benefit, and by diet break, I don't necessarily mean taking weeks off dieting. I mean, you know, having an odd day here or a weekend there or using a carb, like a calorie cycling approach if that's what someone wants to do. However you do it, where you have a day or more every week or few weeks um, at somewhere near maintenance um, is probably more, I think, in the, unless someone's doing something really aggressive, is probably more psychological. Now, I think if someone's doing really aggressive deficits for a long period of time, then yes, I think diet breaks are probably going to be more useful because it's actually more about getting someone healthier again rather than it is about healthy yeah. fat loss because, again, that's the approach that most people take. So when people use a lot of the research on this or they, they try and apply whatever little bits of research there are on this subject, they're thinking more about bodybuilders and physique competitors that have got yeah, very low levels of body fat. Stuff. And, yeah. yeah, and their body's pushing back. If you're someone who's just trying to get to a healthy range of body fat, so between say 10 and 15% for men and probably, you know, 20 to 25% for women is, is healthy. 15 to 20% for women is like what you would find most female athletes would have a body fat percentage of, okay? I mean, I've got clients I work with who've got body fat percentages of 18, 17, 18% via DEXA and other methods who are still convinced they've got body fat to lose. And I'm like, 
you've got the you've got the body fat percentage of an athlete. So where is this mentality and this perception coming from? Oh, because man. this is the point. This is the point at which you're going to push back. And a lot of those people are in this this stuck in this paradox between knowing they can't keep eating 1300, 1400 calories a day and training hard, which by the way, I don't advocate and it's not something I push towards, but it's what they've done. Um, particularly when I'm trying to fix people, I guess is the simplest way of putting it. But the, the fear then is that actually these people do need to take some stress off the body because they probably have adapted in the sense that, you know, they're probably, they're probably still training quite hard, but they probably do have some like reductions in, um, you know, reductions in metabolism, in terms of both their basal metabolic rate, again, probably not as significant as people would think, but they also probably just have reductions in their total daily energy expenditure, you know, activity, less 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 output in their training, even if they perceive themselves as training hard, less daily steps, less, you know, activities of daily living, you know, like walk less, not walking the dog, being less fidgety, being less energized at work, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't think that, I, I just think that like for the, for the, the wider audience, now I've talked way too, at too much length of that, I think for the wider audience, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, that, that will probably benefit most from this, it's like don't worry about having one or two days a week where you're at maintenance. It will probably do you a lot of psychological good. Yeah. Yes, it, yes, in theory, it will delay the, the time it takes to get you to whatever your perceived you know, end point is. But ultimately, does that really matter if we're going to look at this and preach the but gospel? Will it? Is it the same time? But will it? Maybe, maybe you make it quicker because you've got more sent mental breaks. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. I mean, I guess that depends on. Again, it's that's what I'm saying. It's like it's in the essence of sustainability is kind of the the, the kind of end point to that is like if we're going to look at this through a lens of sustainability, having one or two day weeks where you accept you're going to have a few more calories means that mentally you feel refreshed, you don't feel like your overly restriction is less likely than going to lead to what you would call a catastrophic dietary failure. So yes, it will get you results quicker. Would it get you as quicker if you didn't have those days? Well, by the laws of thermodynamics, probably not. Again, under the caveat that we're not using stupidly aggressive deficits. But yeah. how much how much quicker is it going to get you if you've got, say, 30 or 40 pounds of body fat to lose? Like not that much quicker, right? No. Not worth worrying about levels of quickness no, 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 because no. again, if we're going to commit to this process, the whole reason we're turtle, right, is because it's the slow, steady, smooth vibe. So you know, it's about committing to living a healthier lifestyle that we can then get to a goal and then maintain it, rather than That's just getting there as quickly as possible. You know, so I always try and think like, if you're going to be, <clears throat> don't worry so much about maintenance days and all this kind of stuff. It's like, right, am I living my life on a daily basis? in a way that's going to a help me achieve my goal but b most importantly when i get there can i maintain it you know um well that's we the important part is like a lot yeah. of people listening here and this is one of the problems i do see is like a lot of people will see oh well she's on 1500 calories i'm like yeah okay she's five foot you're five foot five you have a different calories okay yeah so don't worry about other people's stats just focus on yeah. yours is yours sustainable and if you find it a bit difficult to lose weight or losing fat and the deficits we put people in are never extreme they're like moderately sized deficits could be less if yeah. you're finding it difficult you're hungry and all that then you will have slightly hungry hungry days on a, in a deficit but you're not going to be those for life you're going to be at maintenance which will be you know significantly higher but people don't, can't see beyond that they think oh, i have to be on this these calories forever no you have yeah. to transition to maintenance properly and then you'll be on much higher calories which is probably the toughest part because 
you know well. There's a lot of misinformation about, you know, reverse dieting is one thing. Like I think Lane came out and said the other day that he, 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 he originally said that reverse dieting improve, increased your BMR. And now he's saying, no, actually, it's from meat increase that uh, the reverse dieting works. Well, yeah, no shit. So what you're yeah. saying is the more, the more carbs that you're putting, the more you're going to get a bit more activity out of that body. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah. I mean, well, there's no other special to it. Well, I think that's that's a really important point as well. And if I was going to, again, it's 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 a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Because it's in some senses, it's easier. And if we're accurate with our food tracking, for example, it's easier to have confidence that if we're if we're trying to adjust our calories downwards, it's sort of easier to assume that our general day-to-day activity and exercise stays fairly consistent, right? It's easy to assume that you know we get the same commute to work every day, we do the same walking of the dog every day, we might do the same workouts in the gym if we've got good exercise habits, you know, the same amount of times per week. It might adjust slightly, but all in all, it means that nutrition is usually the more I use the word usually tentatively there, usually the more accurate way of getting a determinant of where we're adjusting things nutritionally to create a deficit or a surplus, albeit maintenance, right? Because everything else in our life tends to be fairly consistent. It might shift between different seasons or, you know, if you've changed the job or something dramatic's happened in your life. But typically speaking, if we're talking about us in our in our sort of lifestyle homeostasis, if we want to think of it that way. But the reality is that actually it's instead if you're not losing weight or not losing the weight at the rate that you would desire a well let's reset the expectation around that and play the long game is the first thing i would say if we can but the second thing would be like the one thing that is probably the hardest to do in time because it doesn't necessarily maximize calorie burn but i think in terms of the overall benefits for a lot of people it is it's it's trying to say okay we can't be as accurate with it because it's just quite difficult to measure accurately but it's those increases in expenditure. Like if you're, uh, just as an example, it's much easier to create a 500 calorie deficit if you're burning 2,500 calories a day and eating 2,000 than it is if you're burning 1,500 calories a day and needing to eat 1,000 calories, right? So I'm always a big advocate in terms of maximizing expenditure. And that doesn't mean working out like a maniac. It is those little things over the course of the day. You know, like that extra 10 minutes walk here, that extra five minutes at lunch, you know, making that little bit of extra effort across the course of a day, if you can add that up to like an extra hour's walking or an hour and a half's walking a day, that's, you know, it's, it's three, it could be like two, well, depending on the size of a person, maybe 200 to 500 calories, right? If they're doing that at a reasonable pace. So that's that in terms of if people are wanting to accelerate their fat loss is something that this, this idea of metabolic flux is something I'm a big believer in, you know, and, and it's, it's, I think because if all else, if it does, even if it doesn't reduce metabolic adaptation, even if it doesn't have any other effects than it would do in a similar calorie deficit, the fact of the matter is, is that more calories or keeping your calories as high as possible while it's maximizing your expenditure is how I would probably phrase it better. It's going to allow you more food, which is going to allow you more variety, which is going to allow you more opportunities to A, have a sustainable diet yeah. and B, B, get more vitamins and minerals and healthy stuff in your diet, right? You know, so yeah, it's like well, I know. Yeah, it's, 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 it's mad. Like I was when I was doing meal prepping the other day, and I was like <clears throat> adding in the, the meal prep meals. I was mad. I was shocked at how much food I was actually getting for a low amount of calories. Like I had I had three meals for one thousand and fifty calories. That was pr- protein and oats. That was chicken and Mediterranean veg recipe, and it was I think it was the chicken pesto pasta. It was the risotto. I was like, you know what, like whilst you can eat anything you want and that is what we say and eat what you like to start with get into the rhythm over time you do actually want to start 
eating more nutrient dense foods because you will get more bang for your buck. Well, I think think as well as an evolution of what we would hopefully preach and and practice towards. And I think we are both our journeys could probably, you know, although maybe from a different starting point to many of the many of the members is that there's always something else to learn or something else you can try and improve on. Like I've just come off the back of three months of a lot of travel and like, you know, hotel food, you know, just been in Italy, which basically living off pasta and bruschetta for like a week, um, which was great, but pasta, pasta, pizza and bruschetta. Yeah. Um, I'm sick of the sight of it now. I think that'll do me till Christmas probably for pizza at least anyway. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but there's a certain point at which once you've got the grasp on the calories and everything else as well, and you start to focus on food quality because it keeps you feeling fuller, you know, higher protein, more fibrous foods, more whole foods. The next thing that a lot of people will then transition to is actually, you know what? I noticed that when I eat, you know, my five portions of fruit or veg a day, or when I stay on top of my water intake, when I'm focusing on better sleep, I actually just feel more better and I've got more energy. And I think like you get to a certain point when you don't do that, whether it's forced upon you or you choose to do it for a little break, like it's my version of a diet break, I guess, you'd realize very quickly how much of an impact it has. And you start to think to yourself like, oh my God, like how did I used to eat that way and feel that way? And when you've got that other kind of counterpoint, and I think that's that's really the transition from, you know, just focusing entirely, yeah, focusing entirely on fat loss into, right, I want to just be a healthy, active person who feels great, you know, and, and yeah, I think so, they are. I, th- I think they are two separate stages as well. I think if you go into this, if you go into the, if you've got a lot of weight to lose and you go into the process with trying to optimize all your food intake and understand that you can have the food you like and all that, you're gonna kind of get yourself in a, in the mm. middle and you're gonna get trapped with the thoughts. Well, I have to eat clean, as they say, and I'll yeah. struggle and I eat my biscuit and I feel bad. I think it's better to start off by going, look, eat what you like, including biscuits and chocolate. Look, you've lost weight, and you go, yeah, that's amazing. I've lost weight, right? Okay. Now, eat some healthier food and see if you feel better. No, no, I genuinely do. Right. Now, do you feel like you want to actually eat those healthier foods versus you think you have to? And once yeah. you want to do yeah. it, that's it then. You don't look back on this kind of, you, you you kind of don't look back at it. And I think that's the magic is actually going through it like a system as opposed to, uh, yeah, trying to do it all all in, in one move. Yeah. I think well, it, I- I think that's I think that's a really really good way of looking at it. It's like it's trying to create an environment where we want to do things, or even if we don't want to do them, it's at least understanding and seeing the benefits to the point at which that we will do it because the not doing of it isn't worth it. Like for example, yeah. the one example I always use is like okay, it's an overly simplistic one, but it's like brushing your teeth, right? It's like if you hate the dentist, you know, no one wants like gets up in the morning it's like oh, I'm really looking forward to brushing my teeth today. Yeah, I know. But, I but we do it, right, because the fear of having to have a tooth removed or whatever it is or going to the dentist might be worse, right? So, again, even with, like, good nutrition, the thing is that it's even better than that because you will know if you become kind of more aware of how we feel around foods and stuff, that it's not something that, like, yeah, okay, you might not like the taste of eating spinach every day. You might not see the value. I'm not saying you have to eat spinach every day, but I'm just using it as an example. Um, yeah. as, as one of the broest of bro foods out there. Um <laughs> that you know you might not like it you know you might not like fruit you know i've had people say to me, i don't like fruit like you don't like all fruit it's like okay is that really no a way. belief of yours no or is that i don't believe that no i don't believe that i don't believe that for one second no way. it's like you may have you, what you mean is i don't like fruit is 
when I was, I probably got some previous experience with fruit of being force fed it as a child, which means yeah. that it's got deep rooted, like yeah, exactly. rebellion, exactly. pushing against it type thing, you know, <clears throat> and don't get me wrong. There are definitely, there are definitely people out there who have, um, who have, uh, I guess, but um, it's going to see why taste buds develop how they do though and actually to be aware mm. that your taste bud isn't like you it's just when you were a baby your parents probably fed you and this certain x x way not that way and actually can you overcome that mm. potentially you can i don't know if i haven't looked into it too much but it's quite well, interesting well there's, there's, there's definitely psychological disorders where it like where people have like they won't eat anything but chips for example yeah. you know um and those people don't tend to end up too healthy and that that's you know obviously that's an extreme example and that's not what i'm talking about here what i'm talking about here is that a lot of people it's not like they don't in it's not like they, they hate fruit or vegetables it's just that one it's either a an effort to do it right you know it's like oh i've made that effort i can't be bothered and it's just trying to come up with convenient strategies to make a diet a bit more healthful and then notice the benefits but like i say it's you know it's it's the adult equivalent of uh, taking your medicine right brushing your teeth whatever it is sometimes we have to just make a tiny bit of effort if we're truly concerned about like just feeling better. I mean, forget the weight loss components and stuff as well. Yeah. You know, so many of my clients, even athletes that I work with who look great and feel great, who are of a healthy body fat mass, they don't eat enough good stuff in their diet is what I would say. And then it's astonishing when they make a little bit of effort to do that, that they notice that they just feel better and, you know, the recovery is better and all that yeah. stuff. Um, and whether it's placebo effect or not, well, I, I very much doubt it is, but even if it was, you know, it's 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 that in, it's that sort of drinking, uh, not drinking. I was a weird thing to say. That was not what I was going with that one. I was thinking about water intake then for a second. Um, it's that understanding that what you're doing is investing in your own health and well-being. That's what it is for me. Like whether fruits or not made any difference to my overall nutrient quality. Like I'll always try and have some fresh fruit every day because yeah. that's like my little signpost to myself of actually yeah, you didn't want to do this. I'd rather, yeah. I, might, I still I still might have the chocolate bar. Don't get me wrong. But I'll have the chocolate bar and a piece of fruit because that's my little investment to myself that that extra 30 calories or whatever it is that I've had for like, you know, putting it strawberries or you know, blueberries or like, a, you know, an apple or something like that. It's like, you know, I'm doing something good for my body. Cheers, body. Thanks for helping me navigate life. And, you know, yeah. the least I can do is give you what you need. And that's kind of my kind of weirdly. Uh, yeah, that's a good way of going about it. I think, another, perspective. I think another way to look at it as well is like, you have to be in the position to want to, want to do this. Because if, if, for example, if you've got someone in poverty and you want them to think about, you know, self-fulfillment, then there's no way they can even see it. They just want to get to a foundation with a house and all that. And the same with yeah. someone who's got loads of weight to lose. They yeah. don't even want to think about feeling better because they're eating certain food. They just want the fat gone, right? Yeah. So they're, they're, and for people listening who just want the fat gone, I just promise you that if you do focus, like if you do focus on not putting good and bad foods into buckets, good and bad, and you actually are open to eating all foods, you'll eventually get to a stage with Paul, you just explained a bit for you about your body. Like you're like, I'm eating this for me and for my health, not anything else. But yeah, I think it's a, you can see this all around the world in different areas. You, you People have got, there's, there's narrow mind, not, it's not narrow minded, tunnel vision say. Because they're in such a bad way, they think in one end that the only mm. way out is all the fat needs to go. Yeah, and on the way. Well, well, I think that I think within that as well, like again, it's it's where you are on your your journey. You know, if someone is very overweight and they've got joint pain and their cholesterol's high and they you know they're out of breath walking up a hill, then simply losing weight will have a massively Absolutely, significant yeah. impact Huge. on their health. 
So it's, it's, it's a graded thing. So yeah, like if, if someone's very overweight or obese, then yeah, like whatever you eat, you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck health wise by, sorry, excuse me, by losing that body fat mass sure. to a, to a certain, to a certain point. However, you know, what I'm talking about here is that graded approach towards what we discussed before, which is this idea of, I guess it's an idea of coming up with what your own version of sustainability is. And sustainability is, yes, you've got the physiological characteristics of maintaining a healthy fat mass. You've got, you know, and I always encourage people to do this. It's like, if you think about those different buckets of what sustainability is and health is to you, you know, some of those things are going to cause conflict. We might have, you know, a bit of a... um, a bit of you know internal things we need to resolve for example if someone's like right i believe sustainable eating is being able to eat what i want when i want well that's fine but then does that come in log in line with well um sustainable eating is something where i eat you know um five portions of fruit and vegetables every day even though i don't like it and it's like well there's a there's a potential conflict there where we need to reconcile that and figure out what our version, and that's where I would say where people need to figure out what their specific individual version of balance is. You know, it's different for me than it is for you. There's common themes and principles that we need to follow, energy balance, you know, protein, are we eating enough vitamins and minerals type stuff? But how much emphasis we focus put on those things is going to be dependent on beliefs, environment, you know, mindset at any given time, stress, relationships, whatever it might be, sleep. So we, we, you know, I'm not trying to oversimplify that, but I do think that once people, like, once people start to, if people can understand and say, like, okay, well, what does sustainable eating mean to me, or what does healthy eating mean to me, then it allows them to actually start to quantify that in some way and aim at something, rather than it just being, you know, health isn't just about. And yes, it's a big component of it, of course it is, and it's, you know, it's obviously a big problem in society at the moment. You know, health isn't just about maintaining a healthy amount of fat mass. But it's, it's a good starting point. But then, you know, we can change our definitions of what health is and we can change our definitions of what sustainability is if we're, ch- if we're willing to collect the data, be our own scientists, listen to our bodies and understand that, like, past a certain point, you know, we are going to have to balance eating what we want as long as it hits our calories with um, making more pragmatic food choices around things that keep us full and energized and, you know, and our skin healthy and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I'm not anyone listening to this. I don't think it's, it's important. It's important to not think that this is, this is a process rather than something where you're just like, right, day one, I'm not going to eat anything that I would consider junk food. I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to live off whatever. It's like, no, still eat those foods. But for me, the balance is more about not, sacrificing those foods for healthy foods it's about eating a reasonable amount of what people might consider junk food and but also then just not sacrificing eating healthily for that right you know that's my version of it because i know i'll feel better if i have a chocolate bar and an apple than if i just had the chocolate bar and save the calories on an apple right that's my version of it because i feel like at least while i'm doing something for myself whereas for other people it might be well i'll have the chocolate bar but i don't want to have the extra calories and right now that's where you are and that's that's also fine. It's it's a process of defining where you want to get to and doing it in a graded, like you said, systematic way, rather than feeling you've got to solve all the all the world's all your health, all your health world's problems all at once. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I think I think if people can define for themselves what sustainability is, it's always a good guide in light as well, and it, like a nice little lighthouse 
to remind us of like, right, am I eating, the way I'm eating now, is it something that I could do at maintenance? Is it something that I'm willing to do? Are my foods too bland and too boring? What can I do to use this up a little bit? Or do I have to accept that I need to eat a bit more of a boring diet because I, I can't, I can't live off pizza and McDonald's every single day for the rest of my life, you know, and that's something else we have to re reconcile with is like, sometimes we have to treat ourselves like a toddler, you know, that's why I always describe to my clients, <laughs> get to bed at regular times, you know, not too many, not too many sweets, eat your vegetables. Um, it's funny when you tell, you hear parents telling children to like, to live in a certain way that they're not even doing themselves. Like all of a sudden you hit puberty and all of a sudden none of the stuff like sleep and good nutrition matters anymore. It only matters up until the point at which you go to university for a lot of people, right? And then it's, you know, takeouts and that sort and of thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah so, cool. Oh, nice. That's good. It's a lot of information packed there. What would you like to leave people thinking? And what question would you like people to ponder? I think, I, think, I think a good question for people to ponder and maybe something for them to sort of think about and write down is like, what is it that they want to get out of this process other than fat loss if that's the goal or if they're at that goal what is it else they want to get out of this process because it's just it's not necessarily that we have to aim at that but it's trying to open up a conversation that there's more to nutrition and there's more to the way that we treat our bodies in terms of exercise and mindset stuff than simply the way that we appear you know mm -hmm. so i think if people can start to contemplate those ideas it's a good starting point to to open up um thought patterns processes avenues yeah. maybe i don't know yeah. to, to, to thinking about the other stuff but that's all it needs to be at this point we're just plant, planting a seed towards whatever their version of health is in the long run is important rather than and if you can do that i'd say the benefit is that then nutrition doesn't just to become about the frustration of not losing weight this week it's like i've still done all of these things to invest in my health or whatever it might be you know give ourselves opportunities to win as much as we can is this exactly. the goal of this thing <clears throat> No, exactly that's brilliant well people you can ponder it let us know the answers but uh, dr p thank you for sharing your wisdom to the podcast i'm sure people will prefer this format and uh, any questions guys there's a form in the gold membership and silver membership to fill a form out for questions for paul so we can answer them next time but paul nice one i thank will speak to you soon obviously and uh, focus on your one big thing today and adios everyone see you soon turtles